Opening day is upon us. Hi. Hi, everyone. Get excited. Opening day is here. By the time you are tuned into this podcast, baseball in your general vicinity is underway at the major league level and will be underway at the minor league level uh, within hours. Hi, everybody. Welcome in. I am Tyler Mon. Sam Dykstra is in New York City as we get you set for the 2016 minor league baseball season. Howdy, Sam. Hi. Happy New Year. Yeah, I'm, right? Uh... I'm standing in the middle of Times Square because I thought that's what we were supposed to do on New Year's. <laughs> do they not drop the ball awkward. for opening day in the minor leagues? Since they're, not, they're not currently, but we're celebrating in our own way, I suppose. Oh, man, it's the 53rd edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. I'm Tyler. He's Sam. And uh, we're going to get you set for 2016 in a different way this year. This is our second opening day uh for the the old show before the show and this year we're gonna get you set for every minor league system throughout all of baseball our prospect primer stories are up now at milb.com you can find every single team our prospects for you to watch there who to keep an eye on who's gonna break out who's making a full season debut who's got the loudest tools who's at the crossroads who's back and healthy whatever it is go find your favorite team and all of their pertinent information for 2016 at milb.com right now what we are going to do for today's show is take you through all of those and before you we get to that why don't you head on over to itunes rate review subscribe to the show before the show podcast there you can also find links to all of our past episodes and anything else you want to know about the show before the show at milb.com slash podcast so let's get rolling the uh 53rd edition gets you set for 2016 we're going to be joined by a whole cast of characters today milb.com writers kelsey hennigan robert emrich alex Kraft, josh jackson danny wild sam dykstra himself and tyler mon and uh we're we're going to roll through about 90 seconds ish to a couple of minutes on every organization and what stands out to us about those systems and uh what it'll mean for fans of those systems going into 2016 yeah, so this is really, really going to be a whirlwind for you guys listening at home. So, yeah, we're going to kind of touch on things quickly here. But, again, if, if there's anybody we don't talk about and there's going to be a lot of guys that we can't just talk about, you know, in, in this little podcast segment that we ha- are creating for ourselves here, um, please do check out the primers on on the website. Uh, I, you know, I think we've done a really, really good job at, at covering it a ton of information going into the season. You'll find lots of your questions answered there. Um, But we're going to start here in the AL East uh, with the Baltimore Orioles. We'll make our way through each of the divisions that way, going alphabetically. Um, So Tyler, uh, focusing on on those Orioles, you know, the big thing at the top for them is those two pitching prospects, Dylan Bundy, Hunter Harvey. Uh, Neither has really been healthy in recent years. Um, Harvey, particularly, who we're going to focus on here, um, did not pitch at all, I think, last year. Um, coming into this year, had a little bit of a groin strain. He's ticketed to go to Class A Advanced Frederick. Um, but what, what can you kind of tell us about him you know, going into this season with all the injury concerns? Well, as of right now, Hunter Harvey will start his season in extended spring training, but it looks like mid-April he's going to get rolling. He's going to get back to Class A Advanced Frederick and really start to test himself against some upper-level competition in the minor leagues. But that is really, really what the Orioles need to see. They need to see a step forward for Hunter Harvey that's more than just being back on a mound and being healthy because he's lost a lot of developmental time 
with the injuries, with the stuff he dealt with. Like you noted, Sam didn't pitch at all last year and was shut down about midway through the 2014 season. So we haven't seen Hunter Harvey on a mound active, I think, since the middle of July in 2014, which is just his second year of pro ball in his first full season campaign. So this year he goes to Frederick. They really need to see a big step forward from him because the ceiling is very high, but he's 21 now. It's a great spot, great age range for that level of minor league baseball. You really want to see a big step from Hunter Harvey. And this is how we're going to do it. So there's uh, there's one down for the American League East, and we're going to continue on division by division in alphabetical order based on the location name of the team. So the Boston Red Sox are up next. Sam, you had the Boston Red Sox, and uh, one guy who I know, I mean, in a system that is very, very talented as of right now, one guy that I know stood out to you, we will see uh, this season in full season ball. Anderson Espinoza is a very exciting talent, very hyped talent. What can people expect to see from him when he gets into the full season ranks this year? Yeah, so there's a lot that goes into the hype, obviously. You know, one one of the things is, you know, that he was only age 17 last year, um, played at three different levels, made his stateside debut. I mean, the, he was the age of most high school juniors, and he was pitching professionally stateside. So that was really interesting. And the reason he was able to do that is because he was putting up the incredible numbers uh, he finished all levels, you know, with a 1.23 ERA, had 65 strikeouts in 58 in the third innings, and he has the stuff to back it up. His fastball easily reaches the upper 90s. I mean, there were some reports that he was hitting 99, um, and normally that's a worry for that age. Um, but with his delivery, it's just so simple, so easy, so clean. Um, we have a video up on the site right now. I got to see a little bit of him in spring training. Uh, you can see it just the ball explodes out of his hand and it doesn't look like it's doing any damage to, you know, the elbow, the shoulder, anything like that. It's very repeatable. Um, and when you're a guy his size, he's kind of diminutive. He's not a big guy by any means. Um, when you put on a Red Sox uniform, uh, you're going to get the comps. And I, and I wish I could whisper this, but it's a it is a podcast. You're going to get the comps of Pedro Martinez. Um, and that's what sends everybody in Boston just going crazy. Um, but the th thing to focus on this year with Espinosa is because he is so young, uh, there is going to be an innings limit on him. He will start the year with Greenville um, at some point. And, you know, I, I wanted to ask the Red Sox when I was down there, what is the plan for him? What is the innings limit? They didn't have any hard numbers for me. They weren't willing to kind of hammer that out quite yet. Um, but they did point to, you know, what they've done with high school pitchers in the past. Um, they pointed out specifically Henry Owens. Henry Owens in his first year at Greenville, uh, first full season through 101 two thirds innings. I don't think that's exactly the plan for Espinosa this year. He only threw 58 and a third last year, so that would be a, quite a jump uh, for a guy who's only going to be 18 for all this year. Owens was 19 for that year in Greenville, um, but that is a little bit uh, gives us a little bit of an idea of what the Red Sox plans with him are. He might not hit triple digits in terms of innings this year, but he will get kind of close to that, and if if he can make that next jump, still show the same stuff, the same delivery, it's going to be a very, very exciting season for a guy who is that young. So we pivot away from the Red Sox and over to their rivals in the AL East. We bring in MILB.com writer Danny Wild for his podcast uh, debut here. Talk about the Yankees and specifically Aaron Judge. Uh, Danny, you know, everybody really likes to talk about Judge's power. Uh, he moved up to AAA last year. What are the Yankees kind of expecting out of him and what are you kind of expecting out of him in that department? Um, I spoke to Judge a couple weeks ago. I, I think what he and the Yankees probably are, are hoping on is more consistency. That was some. That was a word that he really repeatedly um, said to me in terms of plate discipline. You know, um, 
being a more consistent hitter in terms of striking out less. I think Yankees fans are probably familiar with Judge. Big guy, lots of power, strikes out a lot. Um, so, you know, if he can cut down on the strikeouts, draw some more walks, become more of a consistent contact hitter and not all or nothing. I think if you look at his stats in spring training this year, he was one for 21 and, and the one hit was a home run. So, um, you know, I'm sure he had hoped for a better, you know, a better run in spring training. I'm sure he wanted to make the, he make a run for the opening day roster. Um, but yeah, obviously he's going to be back in AAA. Um, obviously a lot of power, um, probably the, the most power in their system. Um, you know, you look at last year, I think he struck out 144 times in 124 games. This year he came into spring. He was working with Gary Dembo, adding more of a leg kick to his, um, you know, his approach at the plate, his mechanics, trying to get some better timing on pitches. Um, you know, he told me the biggest thing is he wanted to give himself like an extra second to see the ball, um, you know, just recognize pitches. So we'll see. He's a big guy. He's, he's six foot seven. He, he played football. He played basketball. You know, he's athletic. He's got a, a really good arm. Um, so he projects as, you know, a, a kind of a classic power hitting corner outfielder. But, you know, we'll, we'll see if he can develop more uh, discipline and consistency at the plate. To the furthest south point of the American League East we go and the Tampa Bay Rays, and we welcome in our good pal Alex Kraft, who joins the show and gets to talk about a guy who we love on this show, Blake Snell. Uh, Alex, last year, last two years have really been like one breakout thing after another for Blake Snell. Last year, three levels, dominates everywhere he goes, finally reaches Durham at the end of the season. This year... People are drooling over Blake Snell. I mean, what for for the very few people who don't know about him yet, what is left for Blake Snell to accomplish to get to Tampa and really be the the spear of the tip of that next spear, I guess, for the Rays? Yeah, well, um, we definitely know what what Blake Snell wants that next spear to be. Um, he, I mean, he told you guys right here on this very podcast back in October that his goal this year is to get up to the majors and not only do that, but to become an all star up in the majors. Um, and he really believes that he can go up there and compete. So. Um, you know, and as we've seen last year, I mean, with the 46 straight scoreless innings to start the year, he ends up taking home the Milby for for starting pitcher. And um, we saw that, you know, most pitchers go through the ups and the downs during the season. This was kind of domination from start to finish. And that's what I got from uh, the Rays director of minor league operations, Mick Schluckvix. He said he just came in with a whole new mentality and just kept the domination going from start to finish. So I think uh, that's a guy that can really make an impact this year. Moving on to the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, uh, Tyler, we're going to ask you a little bit to talk about Max Pentecost, the catcher in that system. Um, you know, at the crossroads is one of the categories we use for these prospect primers. He fits that perfectly to a T. He's a guy who's had serious injury problems, had a surgery to repair or partially torn right labrum in October 2014, had another procedure on the same shoulder, uh, didn't play at all last year. So this is a guy who, you know, needs to show health, needs to show any kind of production coming into this year. Um, what are your kind of expectations for him in, in 2016 and where he's kind of headed in at that crossroads? He really is, I mean, kind of the, the cliche prospect created for this category because Max Pentecost, I mean, like you noted, in total so far, he's at 105 minor league at-bats, and he was drafted with the 11th overall pick back in 2014. So it's been a very, very slow road for Max Pentecost. The thing that I'm going to be interested to see – is does he have the ability to stay behind the plate now with those arm problems? Rotator cuff injuries, 
labrum injuries, those are not easy things to come back from. And when you are somebody who, I mean, we know what a good bat he has uh, to profile as, you know, a major league caliber hitter. But when you are somebody who plays in a valuable position like that, if the if the arm is not healthy for Max Pentecost, that is a really, really scary situation uh, as it, you know, relates to where the Blue Jays will see him down the road. The struggle thing is, then do you try to find him a spot elsewhere? Do you see if he can climb the ranks as an outfielder, as maybe a first baseman, or is he kind of a designated hitter going forward? So for Max Pentecost right now, uh, he's still listed as being on the disabled list, the seven-day disabled list for Lansing going into this season. But the Blue Jays really need to see some extended time from him because they haven't seen that not just in a long time. They haven't seen that from him yet as a professional period. American League Central up next. The Chicago White Sox went into 2015 with all kinds of expectations that did not really come to pass the way they would have wanted them to. So 2016, some intriguing pieces coming up in the system. We've talked about Carson Fulmer ad nauseum. Uh, so we're going to go to the position player side for the White Sox and Adam Engel. And Alex Kraft is back to talk about Adam. Uh, Alex, Adam Engel had a breakout season last year in the Arizona Fall League, really put together the type of season that not a whole lot of people forecasted for him coming out of college. Uh, but he's turned himself into a very good offensive prospect, which is not something I think a whole lot of people expected to see. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I, when people first hear about Adam Angle, a lot of times they think, you know, 80 grade speed. Oh, this guy's so fast. He's a guy who, I mean, in the second half alone, he, he was only caught stealing three times in, in 40 attempts, uh, which is ridiculous. Finished with 31 more steals than anyone else in the entire Carolina League. But, you know, like you said, the Arizona Fall League was really where he he started to show that offensive potential in, in winning the MVP and the batting title. And, and rest assured, that's something that the White Sox took notice of in, in speaking with their player development guy. Nick Copper, he said, you know, he's starting to put the offensive game together. You know, once he does that, it's going to be something pretty special for this team. All right, continuing on here in the AL Central, we now turn to the uh, Cleveland Indians, and we bring in Josh Jackson from the West Coast, uh, who got to hang out with Tyler down in Arizona in spring training and got to do a lot of work with the prospect primers there. Uh, focusing here again on the Indians, um, Josh, I know you want to talk a little bit about Bradley Zimmer. Um, had a little bit of a breakout campaign last year, was a first-round pick himself, but seemed to take another leap, um, specifically in the power department. Um, how can he kind of build on that 2015 at high A and double A um, and kind of push that forward to potentially looking at a major league debut this year? Yeah, well, one thing about Zimmer is that he's yeah he's still young and he's still growing. That's something that he, he talked about um, is, is that his body is, is still – filling out and as that happens you know anybody knows from from like their middle school and high school experience you're you're bo- you're awkward with your body as it grows um but he has a really good approach and he feels comfortable sort of you know dealing with that growing body and and producing those those power numbers uh and he should continue to do it as he as he goes on and what do you think is the the thing he need, kind of needs to do to make that next jump to the majors i mean he's now an elite prospect but it's one thing between being an elite prospect and being a solid major league contributor indians have some problems in the outfield um is there anything you talked to him about or got any feeling of what they're kind of focusing on outside of just body issues well the i mean the other thing with him is is that last year was was that first full season for him um and he struggled a lot down down the stretch part of that was he had a a foot fracture that for since you know he played with for a couple of months um and they didn't they didn't realize he was playing with it um so i think it's hard to to sort of say here's a here's a flaw with his game right now he's he's obviously uh uh 
you know, a huge prospect number 26 overall. Um, and it's going to be about getting more experience for him, getting um, comfortable playing a long season and yeah, avoiding injury if, you know, to the extent that he can control it. Continuing along in the American League Central, we bring in our own Kelsey Hennigan for the first time, a return guest to the uh, show before the show. Hey, Kelsey. Hey, Tyler. How's it going? Good, good. So uh, you had the next two teams in the American League Central, the Detroit Tigers and the Kansas City Royals. I'm going to ask you about the Tigers. Sam will take it about the Royals. And the Tigers system right now, I mean, we know how much emphasis they've made on the Major League roster, uh, but they acquire a good one in Michael Fulmer. He seems like he's kind of clear-cut above everybody else. Yeah, he was in the Cespedes trade, and so obviously that involves changing uniforms, changing teams, which a lot of players have said takes a lot to get used to. But staying in the Eastern League, he just continued to dominate and he ended up uh, becoming the pitcher of the league in that uh, division. And you just talk about that and it just looks like he was able to deal with adversity and still just stick to the pitching, which is obviously what you want with a guy who will be going up and down the majors, I'm sure, at some point. For him, uh, you know, 44th overall pick, uh, in the 2011 draft last year, pitches in three different spots, not three different levels. Started at high A, and then he gets some time in Double A in the the Mets and the Tigers organization. What else is left for him? Does he need to polish anything, or where do you see him breaking into the major leagues? Um, I think I would say towards the end of this year. I mean, he's got to show that he can compete at Triple A. A lot of people have talked about how Double A AA and Triple A is such a big leap, especially for pitchers. So I feel like once he gets a few starts in there at AAA, he'll be ready uh, to make his debut by the end of this year. All right, and we kind of roll along now. Like Tyler said, you you got the Kansas City Royals as well, um, so that makes for a nice, easy transition for us here. But uh, one of the things that kind of stood out to me, what you wrote about the Royal system, was Bubba Starling, you know, a guy who was obviously a very high draft pick, a lot of expectations, big signing bonus. Um, saw his stock drop for years, and it looked like he finally built it back up last year. How is he kind of building off that season and going forward uh, into 2016? Yeah, Bubba really uh, broke out this year and showed especially his glove and his defense. He didn't make a single error the entire season, which is crazy at any level. Um, And obviously the Royals took notice, and he won an award for the organization's top defense in the minors. So going from Starling, a, a very high pick from years ago, to Hunter Dozier, who is another very high pick in the Royal system, still in the minor league system, a guy who hasn't yet um, reached what people thought was a very high potential. You have him actually as a breakout prospect after you know his own stock drop. What what do you think you see in him, and what do the Royals see in him that could potentially build his stock up again? Yeah, obviously it was a first-round uh, pick a few years ago, and last season was especially tough for him. Uh, he struck out a lot, but the Royals... And I definitely think that he has a lot of potential and he's just waiting waiting to break out. I mean, he's made a lot of strides in the past year. I mean, obviously the stats haven't been there yet, but I think it's finally time for him to show that potential, Um, especially um, Ronnie Richardson, their director of player development, talked about how much hard work he's put in. And, you know, when you've had such a high status and it's not going so well, it is really hard to have that mentality to still try really hard and get there. And he seems like he's just about ready to break out. Minnesota Twins will round out the American League Central and a system that has been more loaded than loaded for a long time. You know the big names. Miguel Sano graduated last year. Jose Barrios is going to do it this year. Byron Buxton has made his major league debut, but this year he'll finally graduate from prospect status. But uh, Sam, the guy you wanted to touch on from this system was so dominant as a college pitcher that he's maybe lesser known right now, but really is going to be one of the guys who sticks himself in everybody's consciousness, who watches the Minnesota Twins organization. That's the lefty Tyler J. Tell us about Tyler J. from the University of Illinois. 
Yeah, so the, the Twins took him last year with the sixth overall pick. Um, it was kind of an interesting selection because he was a reliever throughout college. I mean, that's pretty much all he did at Illinois. You know, Illinois is running its own program. They're not always thinking about what's the future for this guy as a pro. Um, they liked him as a reliever. They kept him as a reliever. Everybody else likes him as a starter because he has four average to above average pitches. His fastball and slider particularly are almost plus plus, if not plus plus. Um, and he complements that with a curveball and a changeup. Um, so the Twins are planning to make him a starter this year. They're going to try to slowly add innings to him, give him as much time to get comfortable in that role. Um, you know, when I w- went down to Florida to talk to the, the Twins about him specifically, um, they said they just really like his package of pitches. And when you have four pitches you know, that, that can be average to plus, that makes them all play up because you, as a hitter, you don't know what's coming. Um, so he's going to start the year at high A. Fort Myers, he's going to be part of a pretty interesting rotation there with Cole Stewart and Steven Gonzalez, two other top 10 prospects in that loaded twin system. Um, and we'll, we'll see how that progression goes. You know, if they decide he's going to be a reliever and he's better in that role, he could move very quickly. If they decide, you know, there is something to this, to this starter experiment with him, then it's going to be a little bit of a slower move, but the payoff is obviously so much higher. The Houston Astros is dovetails perfectly for us. They're next up as we enter the American League West Division. And again, another system that is as loaded as loaded can be. But going into this year, a couple of guys who are not far away necessarily, but maybe a little bit further away uh, than what we've seen over the last few seasons, all these guys climbing so quickly and graduating to Houston. And they'll be forever linked. Kyle Tucker and Daz Cameron, both outfielders, uh, basically ranked right one, two with each other on every list where you see them together. Uh, not in the organization one, two, but it seems like one guy is ranked in one spot and one guy is right behind him. They alternate in a lot of prospect lists. Just tell us about Kyle Tucker and Daz Cameron, because it seems like this is a dynamic duo that may never separate from each other. Yeah. And, and part of the, the problem is that I, I didn't want to fall into the trap of pairing them together and just saying like, well, one, but here we are. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, that was the thing is that I, when I went down to Florida and talking to him and, you know, you, you ask, like, how are they going to play against each other? Because they're both high school outfielders. They they both have the potential to play center field. Um, so how are they going to kind of scratch that out? And how much value is there in bringing them up together? So you always have somebody who's there with you going through that process the same time as you. I mean, we saw that last year. They both played in the GCL together. Then they got that bump up to the Appalachian League with Greenville there together. Um, and the Astros said there is some value there. I mean, at some point, if one separates from the other, then they, they will bump up one over the other. But for now, um, they're both headed to Class A Quad Cities. Um, they are going to kind of switch off there between who's going to be in center field, whether it's Tucker or Cameron. Cameron's a little bit better of a fielder, more likely to stick in center. But they, they want to give Tucker every chance to win that job as well going forward. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they play off each other and who can kind of separate one from the other. I, I think Tucker has a little bit more of an advantage there just because he's a, a little better hitter, has a little bit more power. Um, and if he can solidify himself as a center fielder, maybe he's the guy who moves a little quicker. But um, yeah, right now the the Astros are happy to have both of them. They, they used their bonus pool well last year in the draft. And uh, they're going to ride these guys together for as long as they can push each other. Uh, staying here in the AL West, we're focusing now on the Angels um, who, you know, as anybody who follows the baseball industry knows, that does not have the shiniest 
uh, farm system in the game. Probably has the least shiniest farm system in the game. But I know, Tyler, you went down to Arizona. Um, you actually talked to the Angels. They they seem to have a little bit more confidence in what they have than everybody else. And particularly one prospect who stood out to them was Jemai Jones. What can you tell us about the uh, 18-year-old outfielder? Well, the thing they really love about Jemai Jones is that he, I think, is the total package. And not just athletically, but persona wise maturity wise he's the type of kid who's going to ask every question he wants to ask because he knows that eventually that could make him a better ball player somehow uh he his father played in the nfl played in notre dame you might remember his name andre andre passed away uh when jemai and his brothers were pretty young and that was one of the things that a scout i talked to had told me a well as well about jemai is that he grew up when he was a pretty young kid and that maturity is something that teams love about jemai jones so i think as of right now he is still a ways off. I mean, this is a kid who last season really struggled to acclimate to pro ball for maybe just his first 10 days or so. Uh, so he's still a ways off. He's 18 years old, but he has already shown that ability to adapt quickly. Last year, slashed 194, 265, 323 through his first eight games uh, with the rookie-level AZL Angels. And then, from then on out, over his final 32, 256, 345, 349. So... It's the type of guy that you can dream on because the package is there. The projectability is there a long ways off of the Angels and for their fan base. But uh, somebody at least who you can keep in mind is, all right, maybe the system's not entirely devoid of talent. This is a kid who a lot of people are really high on. To the Oakland Athletics we go, and at Baby SM Giraffe seems to be the uh, the most intriguing prospect in that system and uh, friend of the podcast. So because of the Twitter handle and his friendliness to the podcast, Sean Manaya is the conversation we are going to switch to for the Oakland Athletics. Really highly touted prospect coming into the draft, taken by the Kansas City Royals, uh, former first-round pick, then traded over to the A's, but big strides last year after joining the A's organization with AA Midland. Sam, tell us about Sean Manaya's 2016, uh, a guy who should break into the big leagues, you would think, in pretty short order. Order. Yeah, he, he was a guy who seemed to get a lot of you know steam this year at spring training. Uh, I know a, a lot of Oakland media was really excited by what they saw out of him. He, we know he has the raw stuff. Uh, you know, he's got a certainly a plus plus fastball, um, a plus slider. Um, kind of working on a changeup, but that's kind of an average pitch right now. He's heading to AAA Nashville. Uh, the the book on Manaya last year was. He had to overcome a lot of injuries. He had both ab and groin strains that held him out of a lot of the uh, first half. Um, but you, I think you mentioned it when he did end up coming back in the second half, particularly after the move to the A system. He was just lights out over there in Midland, going six and zero with a one point nine zero ERA and fifty one strikeouts in forty two and in two thirds innings. Um, so they're going to bump him up to Nashville this year. Um, we'll, we'll see how that plays in in the. Uh, you know, hitter happy, hitter friendly, PCL. But um, the the thing on Manaya is that you know because he has that plus stuff, that wicked stuff. Um, he he's going to collect strikeouts in bunches, and I think that's something he did this spring, and something he could certainly take to that level. Uh, what happens when the guys do make contact? We'll have to see. Um, but I think the A's would love to see him come up. You know, mid season. Uh, they're not necessarily. Looking to be huge contenders this year necessarily, so letting Manaya kind of be that guy to get excited about for 2017 is something I think Oakland would love to see. As we continue talking about AL West prospects, uh, we bring in Robert Emmerich to talk about the Mariners and specifically Edwin Diaz, who, uh, according to most sites, is their top pitching prospect. Uh, Robert, what what do you kind of see in Diaz? You know, the system as itself is kind of down; they're trying to build it up a little bit. Um, but what do the Mariners have in Diaz? 
Well, they've got a pitcher with a phenomenal fastball, uh, a solid slider. Um, he's still pretty young. Uh, he just finished up at Double A. Uh, there's a lot there uh, to like. You know, he he didn't pitch well as you as you alluded to with the confidence, uh, but the, the stuff there is really strong. And uh, the Mariners like him. They want him to just kind of uh, work on his sinker a little bit more. Um, and I think if, if he can do that, he, he'll have three good pitches, which will you know, definitely put him in, in the big leagues uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, and, and he, did, he did have some struggles last year at AA, but you did, as you mentioned, he is kind of young. He's, he just turned 22 in March. Uh, you know, how much confidence do they think that he can work on those things, especially with a second taste of AA coming up this year in Jackson? Uh, I think they have every confidence in him. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, they they have a lot of confidence in him. And with that fastball, you know, there's a lot uh, there's a lot there. Um, you know, it's just a matter of that sinker, really, with him. I mean, if he gets that going, he's 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 going to be good. Uh, perpetually loaded system is up next, and that's the Texas Rangers. And we bring back Danny Wild to discuss, um, you know, kind of the legend that is the, uh, the Texas Rangers top prospect in Joey Gallo. And, you know, Danny, last year, Joey Gallo makes his major league debut. Homers, you know, the the legend of Joey Gallo continues to grow at the major league level. And then really for the rest of the season, both the big league level and in AAA, he got knocked around pretty good. And I know that's something he's really taken into this season, got showed how rough it can really be. Um, what is the the final plateau, I guess, at the minor league level that he needs to conquer to finally be that guy at the major league spot? I mean, I, I think everyone knows he's a he's a power guy. He's probably never going to be a high average guy. Um, you know, whether he ends up at third base um, or in the outfield. Um, obviously, everyone's excited about his power. I mean, I, I was. I think we, we were all excited about watching him in the minors last year. He had 23 home runs in the minors. You know, he came up to the majors, like you said, he homered. Um, I, I picked him up in fantasy. I thought he was going to be, you know, a guy who was going to catch fire, and he struggled a lot. He struck out. Um, he had 204 in 36 games. He had 57 strikeouts and 108 at-bats in the majors. So, um, obviously, he needs to work on that. I, I think he's going to draw more walks in the minors. Pitchers obviously know who he is, especially now. They're probably going to pitch around him a little bit. Um, but, you know, the, the Rangers are also pretty loaded in the outfield. They've, they've got... Not just the guys there are now, and, and Chu and Desmond and DeShields who came up uh, last year, the year before. I mean, they've got Mazzara in the system. They've got Brinson, who looks like he's going to be in the majors probably sometime this year. So, I think Gallus really got to, you know, round out his game in, in order to show them that he's a guy who can go up there and, you know, consistently hit when they've got all these other options in the outfield. Whether he stays at third base, I know he's got a strong arm. He pitched in high school, so. Um, he might not have the agility at third base to project as a long-term third baseman there, but obviously he's got a lot of power, a lot of raw talent, and uh, you know the Rangers have to see if he can become a little bit more disciplined and patient at AAA. He struggled when he went back to AAA last year. You know, he was killing it in AA, um, but at, at AAA, I think he hit 195 at Round Rock, 90 strikeouts in 53 games. So you know that's not going to cut it. He needs. I don't. I'm not sure what exactly he worked on this offseason, but um, I think he also kind of struggled and in spring training as well that wraps up the american league with uh, all 15 clubs from the junior circuit senior circuit is up next the national league after the break watch the stars of tomorrow today on milb tv 
Before they made it to the show, stars like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, and Chris Bryant were on MILB-TV. Subscribe today to get more than 5,000 minor league games streamed live and on demand, including games from affiliates of all 30 major league clubs. Select all-star and postseason games are also included. On the go? Watch on your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch with the free MILB First Pitch app. Visit MILB.TV for details. National League, the senior circuit up next. We're going to roll through as we did in the AL division by division, starting in the East alphabetically via where your team is located. The Atlanta Braves kick things off in the National League and a system that has gone from maybe some question marks to all of a sudden arguably the best system in baseball, certainly in the top three uh, where most people have had them ranked coming into this season, Sam. And uh, that's a team where it took us a while to decide what the most interesting topic would be to talk about in the Braves system because there's so many of them. But the Dansby Swanson, Ozzie Albies, who's the shortstop, who's the second baseman, what's the path to the big leagues look like for these guys? That seems like it's hovering over everything yeah and and that kind of storyline took another turn on monday um with the announcement that albies is actually going to be skipping class a advanced carolina he's going straight to double a mississippi and swanson's going to be starting out at high a carolina um so we get our answer of whether these guys are going to be playing together in the short term the answer is no Um, no real surprise in terms of them being at different levels uh they the Braves want to see who's going to be the better shortstop, and the best way to do that is to get both plenty of playing time at shortstop. One will move over to second at some point. We'll see who that's going to be. Uh, I think the leader in the clubhouse, as far as that goes, is that Albies is the more likely to stick at short, Swanson more likely to go to second. Um, he has some experience there from his days at Vanderbilt. Um, but they were flipping off between those positions this year, uh, th- this spring, excuse me, um, so they have some experience playing together with one another. I know when I talked to Danzy Sponson, he, he said it was very easy getting to know each other that way. They developed a nice chemistry in the you know couple dozen games that they did play each other, play with each other down there. But the, the really, really surprising thing to me is that they do think so highly of Ozzie Albies enough to send him to double A. He was very good last year at Class A Rome, uh, was a 300 hitter there, showed an advanced um, hitting ability and a advanced approach for a guy his age. He has some nice speed as well. Um, but the fact that they think he's ready right now to make that jump to double A, uh, when the jump from high A to double A is already so large, n- now it's just from class A regular to double A. That, that's fascinating. Um, so we'll have to see if he hits the ground running. I, I'm not so worried about Swanson. I think he can handle the Carolina League with the Mudcats quite well. Um, and I think he'll be one to move quick, potentially joining Albies at some point in Mississippi this summer. That's going to be the interesting thing in that situation is if Dansby Swanson goes to the Carolina League and just dominates there, does he find himself in Mississippi by May? So keep an eye on that in the Brave system. Yeah, and they've said themselves that they are trying to develop a very, very good double play combination. So if they both are dominating, you know, if they if it looks like Albies is holding himself well at double A and it, Swanson looks like a guy who is ready for double A. I don't think they're going to be scared to put those guys together. Um, and, the, and they'll figure out who's the better shortstop from there and just flip them off as they did this year at spring training. Um, but I, I think if you ask the Braves right now, they, they would want that problem to have for sure. All right, we move along in the uh, NL East here. we back with Alex Kraft uh, talking about the Miami Marlins. Not a lot of potential stars in this system. Not a great system overall. You know, it's pretty much between them and the Angels for maybe the worst farm system in baseball right now. But yeah. they did have a potential star in Tyler Kolick. 
disappointing news that he has a little bit of an elbow problem. What do you, can you kind of, kind of tell us about him going into what was supposed to be his second full season? Yeah, I definitely can. Um, in in speaking with the Marlins vice president of player development, Mark Del Piano, who who's in his first year with the team since coming over with the Pirates, him as well as their um, their pitching coordinator uh, Jim Benedict as well, guys who really worked with guys like Tyler Glass now and Jamison Tyone and and different minor league stars like that. They're now working with Colic and in speaking with Mark, he said that um, in Tyler he had seen they had really worked with him on his energy level. They had worked with him on on trying to be a little less high effort with his delivery and his release point. And he had said in, in spring training it had resulted in some of the best command he had seen from Tyler. And we know that was a big uh, bugaboo for him, I guess, last year in, in the South Atlantic League. So um, it's unfortunate that with the injury now, we don't know when he's going to be able to put that out on the field. They had uh, said that they were planning to send him back to Greensboro in the South Atlantic League to try and get some measure of success before he moves up to the Florida State League. But uh, it's just a matter now of not knowing when he's going to get that opportunity. All right, we bring back Robert Emmerich, Colin from Texas, on over the phone here to talk about a, a team over here in New York with the Mets, um, specifically you know, focusing on a friend of the podcast, Dom Smith. He was with, uh, with us earlier in this spring at the outset of spring training. Um, with Dominic Smith, You know, the thing is, about him is that he's a first baseman. He's a very solid defensive first baseman, a very good hitter, but doesn't quite have that power. Um, what are the Mets kind of looking at to build off, you know, what was a pretty strong FSL campaign last year with him um, going forward at double A Binghamton this year and potentially onward from there? Well, even though he didn't hit a lot of home runs last year, he still, he hit a lot of doubles uh, last year, uh, I think well over 30. And he's again, and he's another guy who's really young. Uh, he'll turn 21 this year. And the thing about the Mets system uh, is, we, as you as you go up the level, the hitting environments become better for the hitter. Uh, Brooklyn, Savannah, St. Lucie, St. Lucie, these are all tough uh, environments for young hitters. And Smith put together a tremendous year in, you know, again, Florida State League is not known for uh, offensive numbers, but he put together a really good year there. And it's just 21. I think you can forecast uh, some some improvement in his home run numbers there just because of the age and uh, moving it to a – slightly more neutral um, ballpark for hitters. Another reshaped system we were talking about it a minute ago with the Atlanta Braves. The Philadelphia Phillies have gone from being a low-level system to all of a sudden one of the best in all of baseball. And, Sam, you wrote up the prospect primer on the Phil's brighter days ahead in the city of brotherly love. And uh, Cornelius Randolph is a name that is a hell of a lot of fun to say, first of all. And <laughs> second of all, uh, probably is not really right up there on the list uh, of – what Phillies fans expect to be their most exciting talent because now they have so much that's in the upper levels, but this kid 10th overall pick in last June's draft. Uh, tell us a little bit about Cornelius Randolph, the outfielder. Yeah. The first thing that kind of stuck out to me when I was talking to the, the Phillies about this, uh, Joe Jordan, the director of player development was that he, he said, you know, their scouts in the room were calling Cornelius Randolph, the best hitter in the draft um, full stop. You know, he he said, well, he, he did add that he wasn't sure if they were talking about just high school hitters, if they were also including the college guys as well. Um, but in that draft, if you look at who was there, you know, you're talking about him being a better hitter than Brendan Rodgers. If we're only talking about high school guys, if you're talking about if you're including the college guys, he's a better hitter than Dansby Swanson and uh, Alex Bregman and Andrew Benintendi, who, you know, was the Golden Spikes winner and showed plenty of power in, at Arkansas. So. That that really jumped out to me when they're talking. I mean, part of that is spin. Obviously, they really like who they have. 
But with Randolph, he did show off, you know, some nice hitting ability last year when he, he played in the GCL. Uh, he had a 302 average, 425 OBP. Uh, the thing that sticks out to me is he had an even strikeout to walk ratio, uh, 32 for each in 53 games. Um, so that's really, really interesting, showing a good at-ball ability, a good eye for that level, um, especially coming in as a high school guy. The thing to watch for him, he is moving to Class A Lakewood. Um, the, what the Phillies have done, they moved him from shortstop where he played in high school over to left field. He's not going to be a guy who's going to be you know, showcased in either center or right. Um, he is a left field guy, but he do, what he has to show is that he can, A, handle that transition. They think he has already um, this spring and going back to instructs last year. They, they have no worries about him defensively, um, but can he hit enough to be in that spot at left field? Because if you're going to play that spot, you don't need the arm. You don't necessarily need the range, but you do need the bat. Um, so that'll be the big question mark for him so far. He's passed every test that, it, that has come across him in his short pro career right now, and now we get to see what he's going to do over a full season back with Kelsey Hennigan here for the uh, national system now and the real standout for this system or one of the, the two standouts there's Lucas Giolito but one I really want to talk to you about is Trey Turner um, he was a guy who got some time last year at the major league level looked like he was ready to make that jump again um, for opening day this year they sent him down to AAA Syracuse uh, when you talked to the nationals about him what, what did they kind of say in, in his readiness for making that jump to the majors yeah, I mean, the thing that people forget about with Trey because he's so talented is that it was just his second season that he made his major league debut. So it's still plenty of time for him to develop. Uh, he does seem like he's almost there, especially with his speed, uh, which is about a 70, 80-grade speed. And I got to see that in person last Saturday when I went to see a Nationals-Twins exhibition game in D.C. And he, you know, he didn't start the game, and he was going to go to the Myers as soon as the game was over. But he still beat out an infield single and he almost beat out second one. He just really showcased that speed and showed that when he does eventually come back to Nationals Park, he will be ready. And do you think that there is any um, development he still needs there at AAA? Or do you think this is just strictly a service time, you know, let him take it, get it, uh, a little more time at AAA, but more or less this is more just a service time thing than anything else yeah i think it's a service time and just polishing like uh like we said he does need that service time it has just been a year and a half basically in the minors so he just needs to polish everything up and show that he can adjust perfectly at every level now onto a system that you know we we talked a lot about in recent years but this offseason isn't necessarily looking like what it used to be and that's Straight from graduations, when you're talking about last year, losing Chris Bryant, Addison Russell, Kyle Schwarber, and the whole lot. Uh, we're talking about the Chicago Cubs now with Tyler. And Tyler, one guy you wanted to kind of focus in on is a guy who, when he's on the field, has put up spectacular numbers. He just ha- hasn't been on the field enough to kind of justify it, an incredible prospect ranking. And that guy is Pierce Johnson. What can you kind of tell us about him? Yeah, Pierce Johnson is uh, a guy who's really come out of nowhere. And for the Cubs and for the people who have watched him, the biggest thing for him, as it is for anybody, but the biggest thing for Pierce Johnson is health. Last season, coming into uh, opening day out of spring training, had a strained lat muscle, hamstring and calf strains limited coming out of spring training in 2014. But in both of those seasons, had he pitched a qualifying number of innings and continued the work that he did, 
He would have won the Southern League ERA title in back-to-back years. Last year, 95 innings for Tennessee, but then went on and pitched another 24 and two-thirds for Mesa in the Arizona Fall League. Got a chance to talk to Pierce at one time last season uh, when I was down at the AFL. And Jaron Madison, the Cubs' director of player development, was really, really high on Pierce Johnson, and not just because of the fact that he's put up really big numbers, but because of the fact that coming into this year, he feels really healthy. Uh, And it looks like this is one of the, the real gems that the Cubs have been able to just dig out of signings where really there aren't uh, a whole lot of teams that are able to find guys in these situations, but both Pierce Johnson and Ryan Williams, who was last year's Chicago minor league pitcher of the year. And also uh, the identical twin of former co-host of the show before the show, Jake Siner, both those guys were senior signs out of college. And you don't often see guys like that jump into a system and all of a sudden just be flat out studs. But Pierce Johnson definitely has that on his resume. A lot of people see his future in the bullpen, uh, but this is a guy who as a starter debuted on June 11th, And his ERA didn't go over two until August 24th last year. So Pierce Johnson, this season, I would imagine he's going to be battling for, you know, a full season stretch of time uh, with AAA Iowa. If he's there and he continues to do what he's done in the Southern League, the prospects uh, on the position player side have really outshined the pitchers in the Cubs system, but he's one to keep an eye on. Kind of the forgotten team in the the way the National League Central has been over the last couple of seasons with all these successful organizations, the Cincinnati Reds seem like they've flown somewhat under the radar, but they've got a lot of talent, and a lot of it is near the major leagues. They were kind of in that middle tier, as Sam and I discussed a couple of weeks ago, uh, in terms of their overall organization talent rankings, and we bring back Robert Emmerich to talk about that system. And, Robert, we know how good Jesse Winker is. Uh, we know you know Tyler Stevenson is somebody that they're very high on. But Jose Peraza is really interesting in that system. Comes over from the Dodgers really fast. He's got that. He was named loudest tool in your prospect primer. What is his road forward with the Reds? Because they've used him at second base. They've used him in the outfield. What's the what's the step for him to to crack into the big leagues? I think for him, he just has to continue to hit, and he'll just force the issue at the big league level. I mean, as you alluded to, he's so fast. I mean, uh, probably you know, I would I would think the second fastest player in that organization behind Billy Hamilton. And let's be honest, nobody's catching Billy Hamilton in anything. Um, but he hits well, and you know, you mentioned he played the outfield in spring training. I think he played center field, so he's got a little versatility there that uh, should really help him going forward. It's just a matter of uh, clearing up the log jam in front of him. And I think as long as he continues to hit like he's shown he can, he'll be fine uh, probably sooner rather than later. All right, moving on now to the Milwaukee Brewers. We bring back Josh Jackson to talk about uh, this system, one of the up-and-coming systems, You know, certainly one of the rebuilding ones. Uh, one of the stories last year with the Brewers was that AA Biloxi team spent so much of the first half on the road uh, due to stadium problems and came on really strong there, helped by Orlando Garcia. Uh, Josh, we were talking earlier, you, you seem to think that that Biloxi team is built to be really good again this year. Um, what makes you think that? Who's what kind of prospects are going to be there to start 2016? Well, they yeah they definitely have prospects to to you know to watch out for. Um, Josh Hader is is down there. Uh, he's a guy listed in in the prospect primer. We'll talk about him a little bit. On that staff with him is Adrian Hauser. Um, we've got Jacob Nottingham catching, um, and yeah, Brett Phillips will will be there in the outfield. And my actually the the under the radar prospect Nate Orff. Um, he's going to be there as, as an infielder. And, and specifically with Orf, um, you know, why did you choose him as an under the radar guy? I mean, there there are so many really good prospects in that system right now. What do you what do you see in him that makes him as a guy who who could break out this year? 
Well, yeah, he's one of those guys who's sort of, you know, there's no one tool that you go, oh, look at that, he's the, he's the guy. But he he kind of he's he's like a greater than the sum of the parts kind of guy. He he does it all, and he is, um, you know, ne- he's never been. He, I think he signed undrafted. I don't have that right in front of me, but it was either a really late round pick or undrafted, and he played his way up to Double A for a hundred and you know 125 or 127 games last year. Um, that kind of mentality, that that grind mentality, he's got that going for him, and and he has the skills at a, at a level that are good enough that that with that mentality and work um, ethic, he's going to be able to, I think, to keep you know uh, rising in in all kinds of rankings and in estimations of pe- of people around baseball. All right, moving along here in the uh, NL Central, we move on to the Pittsburgh Pirates here, and we're back with Alex Kraft. Um, Alex, you know, I, I'm sure we're not going to stop talking about Tyler Glass now for, uh, throughout this season, so we'll kind of put him off to the side here for now. Uh, but we'll, we're going to focus instead on Jameson Tyone, another big right-hander in that system, a guy that a lot of people expected to be at the major league level, slotting right next to Cole um, at the top of that Pittsburgh rotation. Um, I know before you did your primer on the Pirate system, you talked to him in a Q&A. Uh, you know, what was he talking about at that time? I know he's just raring to go to get back on the field after two injury-riddled seasons. Yeah, and and you're absolutely right when you say he's he's raring to go. He told me, you know, um, last year in my in my spring training interview, I told the Pirates, you know, I'm sick of being a prospect. I'm I'm sick of being in the minor leagues, and I'm sick of rehabbing. I'm ready to get back out there. And you can really see in in the work that he's put in during this off season that we talked about. Um, He's been working out in Houston at, at the same facility, uh, Fairchild Sports, as Mark Melanson, the Pirates' current closer. Um, he's hired a nutritionist, completely reworked his diet, and he's been really working to hone his mechanics. He's been working with a couple different guys in the Pirates' staff and front office. And, uh, you know, he says that overall he's he feels like he's accomplished more in the in this last offseason. Maybe not to say more, but um, more than he thought he would in this time of rehabbing and he, he really feels like he's ready to go out there. And he said, he's not overly nervous about getting back out there, but he's more excited than anything. All right. Closing out the NL central. We we're back here with Kelsey Hennigan again, Kelsey Hennigan again. That's just fun <laughs> to say. I'm going to be honest. Um, yeah. So with the Cardinals, the person you kind of singled out to, for being major league ready was Sam. I like the first name. The second name is going to be difficult for me Tuve Lala. Shashevsky. Shashevsky. Yeah. No, this is, <laughs> I like it because he has a first name I can understand and relate to, Tuve Lala. We're going to go with Tuve Lala. I apologize to Sam if that's not it. Sam Tuve Lala, what makes you think about this right-handed pitcher that he is major league ready? You know, he's been up and down a little bit last year in the majors. He got a couple tastes. And he's obviously his fastball is his strongest pitch, but he's kind of shown that he can command it and he's developing uh, his secondary pitches and he's kind of just fine-tuning it all and he seems to be ready. And one guy I did want to uh, touch on a little bit just because to talk about the Cardinal system, he is the elephant in the room or the fireballer in the room, I guess, is Alex Reyes. You know, he's starting the season suspended for what he admitted was uh, marijuana use, um, which results in a 50 game suspension. So he won't be here on opening day with us. We won't be covering him for a while. Um, But how excited are the Cardinals to see him, you know, after the jumps he made specifically with his velocity and his secondary pitches last year? Yeah, I mean, I think they're excited about him 
on the field and off, actually, because the way he's handled his suspension and the apology and they feel like he's really growing and learning as a person. And then, obviously, his fastball does continue to keep getting better, and he's learning about how to command that and just keep going with his 80-grade stuff. National League West is up next, and uh, we kick things off alphabetically as we are going with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And Kelsey, Peter O'Brien uh, gets the nod for loudest tool in that system. He could probably have the loudest tool nod for all of minor league baseball uh, in what he does from a power standpoint. So far throughout 408 minor league games, he's hit 92 homers. So that obviously is very present, and he continues to develop offensively. But how does he fit in with a National League team defensively, and what is left for him to accomplish at the plate going into this season? I mean, a lot of people thought that the D-backs just kind of traded away their whole system. But Peter O'Brien is one of the biggest guys that they've proudly kept. Um, and Mike Bell, their director of player, player development, talked about how special his power is and how, you know, it's not it, – it's almost one of the best ones in the majors even, even though he's not there yet. And so I feel like they'll figure out a way to make it work because they just value his power so much. We continue in the NL West now with the Colorado Rockies, a, a system that I think a lot of people really, really like the position player prospects in that system, myself, of course, included. Um, but, Tyler, you wanted to talk about one of the pitchers there, uh, and specifically Antonio Senzatella, a guy who really, really did well in the uh, California League last year, not typically a league for pitchers, um, but did well with high A Modesto. Um, going to be moving up this year to double A Hartford. That's fun to say, double A Hartford. Um, so what are you kind of expecting out of him after what he was able to do last year? Yeah, Antonio Sensatella is my constant comparison for him is that he's like the hitting Ramel Tapia, who is a Rockies prospect who has just hit at every level, uh, was the subject of a really interesting Vice Sports column a couple weeks back on kind of, you know, when a guy hits and people still knock him why is that? Uh, Antonio Sensatella is like the pitching version of that. A lot of people outside the Rockies have been waiting for a while to see if this kid's going to fall apart. These are his numbers over his two full season campaigns, 2014 with Asheville Class A in the South Atlantic League, 15-2, and 3.11 ERA and 26 starts. Last year in the California League, 9-9, nine and nine, 2.51 ERA and 26 starts for Modesto. Modesto is not the most hitter crazy ballpark in the California League, but still, very, very difficult league to pitch in. That was the lowest ERA for a qualifying starting pitcher in over a decade in the California League. And, oh, by the way, his strikeout numbers rebounded mightily. Two years ago, he struck out 89, 144, and two-thirds. Last year, 143 strikeouts in 154 innings, and he only walked 33. He's the exact type of profile the Rockies love. big body guy can really take on a a pretty solid innings workload, gets strikeouts, gets ground balls. Uh, He's an interesting prospect, and the Rockies' upper-level pitching talent is so noted now. Everybody knows John Gray. Everybody knows Jeff Hoffman. Most people know Kyle Freeland. Antonio Sensatella, I think, will enter that arena this year, and he's somebody the Rockies are very, very high on going into 2016. Continuing along the National League West, we head out to Los Angeles, uh, appropriately enough, to talk about the Los Angeles Dodgers with Josh Jackson. And, uh, Josh, you predicted recently that Cody Bellinger would jump into the top 100 this season. That has already happened, actually, uh, thanks to the move uh, out of Byron Buxton, out by Byron Buxton from the top 100. Cody Bellinger, I got to really watch out for in the system, first baseman, outfielder. He's your breakout guy for this year in the Dodgers system. That's right, and I almost feel like that's kind of a cheat because uh, the year he had last year, I think you would, by all rights, call a breakout year, um, except, you know, in that system with with Seager and, and Urias and now a bunch of other guys, too, he, his story kind of um, 
you know, was muffled a little bit in, in terms of noise created by the media about him. Uh, but he, you know, he came in last year, first full season, hit 30 home runs. He came in and had a phenomenal spring in, in big league camp that, you know, got everybody talking about him. Uh, Dave Roberts got, you know, involved with creating a, a Twitter movement to, I think it was called Cody Love was the hashtag. Um, he has a ton of power. He hits very well. And that power is something that he really kind of grew into last year and sort of started understanding, um, hey, this is a pitch I can really drive rather rather than just kind of slap. I can, I can drive this pitch. Let's go a little bit further south down. Uh, what is it out there, I-5? Um, well, from my place, you'd take the 405, but okay. yeah, you could do, you could do either. We could okay. get into a whole routes conversation. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm just <laughs> making up, uh, we'll have, you know, geographical conversations about Southern California. Either way, the San Diego Padres are south of the Los Angeles Dodgers, for those of you who do not know. And, uh, the Padres are up next. The Padres last year was so bizarre in the way that their system was really torn down and then really reshaped in large part last year, especially with that Craig Kimbrell trade. Uh, but the, the team that you are keeping an eye on in that system this year is clear. Class A Fort Wayne. The tin caps could be loaded, especially in starting pitching in 2016. Yeah, that's true. They um, they have a couple of really young guys in Jacob Nix and Austin Smith, who and, and Logan Allen also. Um, Logan Allen came in that Red Sox trade and, for for Kimbrell and, and Smith and uh, Nix were both um, draft picks. I think both in the first round or, or compensation picks last year. Beyond that, they've got Rudy Jerome, I think is how it's pronounced, at shortstop. Um, Michael Geddes in the outfield, who who I picked as a, as a breakout guy, just because he seems to have everything he needs to do in order to, to hit really well. He just struck out a lot um, last year and didn't get on base the way he, he probably has the ability to, I think. Um, and if he can do that, he's going to be a very well-rounded player. All right, and we'll wrap up with this one. This is going to be our last uh, little capsule here for as we make our whirlwind tour around the the 30 farm systems in baseball. Uh, we finish up with the San Francisco Giants. Uh, Tyler, this was another one you had. Uh, this is a system that is particularly loaded with arms, um, not necessarily top 100 arms. Everybody kind of has their question marks. Um, but one that you wrote about, um, that is very, very intriguing just because his numbers are, are tell so, such different stories is Ray Black, a guy who uh, has had some struggles staying on the field, but w- when he is on the field, is putting out some numbers that are just eye-popping. Uh, what can you tell us about Ray Black? I definitely don't want to like toot my own horn about Ray Black, but the description. Go on. But the description that I used for him is one that I was like really proud of myself for thinking of. Uh, and this was the way I wrote it up. I said Black's easy triple-digit heat almost seems like the stuff of urban legend due to the injury history that's limited him to just sixty and a third inning since he was drafted in twenty eleven. That's how it feels with Ray Black. Like you look at his numbers and you're like. Why haven't I heard about this guy? Like, how is he possible? He has struck out in 60 and a third minor league innings, 122 batters in 60 and a third. It's two <laughs> strikeouts an inning. Like, what? How on earth? So Ray Black is somebody who you probably haven't heard of, but you're probably going to hear of going forward. The thing that introduced me to Ray Black last fall when I was down in Arizona checking out the AFL when Ray Black would come into games, it would be the 6th, 7th, 8th inning in a game that's not competitive, scores, you know, a five-run difference, whatever it was. When he would come in for Scottsdale, 
everybody in the dugout on both sides went to the top step to watch him. And that's what Ray Black does. This is a guy who touches 103 miles an hour with his fastball, uh, really has not seen regular minor league time because he's been so injured throughout his career. But it seems like right now, the Giants are ready to take the gloves off with him. Uh, Ray Black was drafted out of Pitt back in 2011. And what I thought was interesting was talking with Shane Turner, the Giants director of player development, who is maybe the most interesting player development guy I've talked to. Uh, Shane Turner said, quote, when we got him, his mechanics were a little violent, which has led to those arm injuries. From the middle of last year in the Cal League to what you saw in the Fall League to where he is now, his mechanics are a lot smoother. It's not a max effort deal now, so he's taking a lot of stress off his shoulder. The next step is to let him become a pitcher. And what Shane Turner means by that is Ray Black has yet to pitch on back-to-back days as a professional hasn't pitched you know three out of every four days three out of every five days that type of thing this year they're really excited to take the the reins off with Ray Black and let him do that one of the other things that Shane Turner said was you know the more you see him the more he works this year maybe he's not going to throw 100 miles an hour every day that's going to force him to develop his secondary stuff that's what we're really excited to see from him so Ray Black is a very exciting prospect if you like somebody who can just shove heat keep an eye on him he's probably headed to double a Richmond uh and he'll see some extended time there Fun guy to talk about and a fun guy uh, to watch throw this past fall in the AFL. So Ray Black, 6'5", 225, just nothing but heat. Hey, and that is going to do it for the 53rd jam-packed edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Uh, this is a ton of fun, and uh, we want to extend a big thanks to all of our writers for joining us to talk about their various prospect primers. You can find all of those stories up right now at MILB.com. We have a ton of really good stuff uh, on the site right now and coming to the site this week ahead of opening day to get you set for the 2016 season, uh, including this very podcast that you are tuned into right now. So uh, with that, we're going to be back after the break to wrap things up and uh, send you off into the 2016 season coming up next. The most ambitious episode of the show before the show podcast, nearly in the books. I am quite pleased with this one. Yeah, no, I was just thinking the same thing. It's it's the toughest, easiest podcast yeah. I've ever done just because it's it's getting everybody we work with together which is easy enough because we're all friends and we all get along and it's very easy to, you know, mo- we're all over the country, but it, we all have each other's contacts. But calling everybody together into this one big mega podcast is something that uh, we've never done before. And I, I think it worked well. I think you just came up with the uh, the name for it. I think we're going to call it the 2016 Preview Mega Podcast. Like yeah, there we go. That's what we're going to go with. Um, we have a ton of stuff up on the site to get you ready for opening day right now. We have a ton of stuff coming to the site as well. You may have heard uh, Josh Jackson mentioned our under-the-radar piece for prospects who are flying a little bit maybe unknown comparatively uh, to some of their counterparts in their own organizations. That is a hugely popular story that we do every season uh, coming up right around this time on opening day. That's up at MI lb.com right now we also have sam a uh, a fan's guide to opening day it's coming up yeah and that's kind of on me and uh or i should say ben and i kind of collaborated on that um it's it's literally just a uh hour by hour guide or roughly hour by hour uh of how people should be spending their their thursday this year and uh minor league opening day on april 7th um so it's just you know how you can sign up for all the apps how you can sign up for milb tv um, where you can find our prospect primers, uh, which games you should be focusing on beginning at 1 o'clock between Hartford and Richmond and carrying right on through the day um, until the, the last game start at 10 o'clock Eastern. Um, so which games you should be focusing on, what storylines you should be looking at, 
Um, it's a combination of, like I said, it's between Ben and me. So uh, Ben focuses a lot on the, you know, minor league business side stories, you know, your Hartford Yard go to your Columbia Fireflies, uh, their first games ever. I'm focusing more on prospect based stuff. So what that round rock team is going to look like, they're facing off against Iowa, which has its own uh, pretty good talents there. So that might be a game to watch. Uh, AJ Reed's AAA debut at 10 o'clock. If you want to see offense, you should tune in there. Um, so stuff like that. So that's, that's, that's always a fun story every year. And, uh, Definitely check that out to, for your guide to opening day. And again, as always, you can watch the Stars of Tomorrow today on MILB.TV. Before they made it to the show, stars like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, and Chris Bryant were on MILB TV. Subscribe today to get more than 5,000 minor league games streamed live and on demand, including games from affiliates of all 30 major league clubs. Select all-star and postseason games also included. If you're on the go, you can watch on your iPhone, iPad, or iPad Touch with the free MILB First Pitch app, which you should also download. Visit MILB.TV for details on MILB TV for the 2016 season. So that will do it for the 53rd edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Our thanks to everybody from the site for joining us today. We're back next week with another regular episode, getting you uh, off and running into the 2016 season. Another interview, three strikes returns, Benjamin Hill returns, all kinds of good stuff. So until then, enjoy opening day. Enjoy the first week of baseball. And we'll talk to you next week. 